Hi, everyone. Welcome to Second Generation. Generation. I'm Sophia. I'm Hannah. And I'm David. And today's topic of the day is... Defining Asian American. So all three of us um, were born in the U.S. and we've lived here for pretty much our entire lives. We just wanted to explore how our experience and the experience of all Asian Americans is unique and distinct. So we'll all be talking a little bit about where we grew up and what it was like growing up and coming to Northwestern. David, what are your thoughts on that? So I was born in um, the Midwest in a really small town. So I think my experience uh, with rural America was definitely impacted by my race and just how the predominantly white people of that town treated me. And then when I was in middle school, I moved to St. Louis, which is still like a fairly white city, but it was a whole like new world for me in terms of just the sort of acceptance that I found there. And I felt a much more of a strong connection to like the American culture, because that's what everyone else connected with. And so now that I'm here at Northwestern, it's been really eye-opening, just the, the opportunities that I've had to connect with other people who are um, Filipino specifically, but also just generally Asian. There's a lot of diversity, which is something that I've never really experienced. Um, how about you, Hannah? Oh, just so everyone is clear, David is Filipino. <laughs> I'm Korean, and Sophia is Chinese. We, you can't see our faces, so I thought I would clarify that. Yeah, so growing up, my parents were actually really good at speaking English. So I never had to struggle, like, only speaking to them in Korean. Um, but they also did try to teach me Korean. So I can speak Korean, but I know, growing up, um, I was born in Pennsylvania. And when I was very young, it was me and two other families, maybe three, who were Korean in, like, the entire town. So obviously most of my classmates were white and I never really liked the fact that I was different. And then everything changed when I moved to the magical land of California. Um, specifically, I moved to the Bay Area, which is huge culture shock for me. Um, for me, the little third grade Hannah. The elementary school I moved to is, I think, 60 or 70% Asian. And I think, like, not being a minority anymore made me just really appreciative of the culture that I was born into. And now there's, like, now, as a second-generation American, I struggle with maybe, like, oh, am I not Korean enough? Like, what if I have kids? And then they won't be Korean enough because they'll be even less Korean than me if we decide to live in America. And then I'll be responsible for the death of a culture. And, yeah, that's the things that keep me up at night. Um you want to go, Sophia? <laughs> sure. On that note. <laughs> On that note. So I grew up in Pennington, New Jersey. So like David, I grew up in a mostly white town, but there were still a decent-sized Asian community. It was mostly Chinese, so I had plenty of Chinese friends. Um, but I think the real disconnect for me there was language because uh, both of my parents are from Hong Kong, so they both spoke English really well. And then predominantly the language in Hong Kong is Cantonese, and most of my friends spoke Mandarin. So I think in that sense, having all my friends speaking Mandarin and I was speaking Cantonese, I couldn't communicate with them in the same ways or culturally. It's a little bit different. So I think for me, the struggle uh, growing up Asian American was that sense of feeling like I wasn't Asian enough because I also don't speak Cantonese fluently. Mm -hmm. I didn't see any yeah. point in it because, again, both of my friends didn't speak Cantonese. My parents spoke English. And it's something that I've thought a lot about after coming to Northwestern and seeing so many more Asians. It's kind of where do I fit in culturally mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. because of that disconnect with 
language and who I grew up around. I think the language barrier is definitely a huge factor for a lot of Asian Americans. And I mean, I know a lot of, I have a lot of Asian friends that do speak their like mother tongue, but as someone who never really grew up speaking Tagalog, which is um, the language that's predominantly spoken in the Philippines, I think there's a lot of disconnect from like your, your home country there. Like it makes me feel less Filipino because I don't know how to speak Tagalog fluently. It's just like not never something that I had to do because it's everyone speaks English, of course. And I think Asian parents kind of expect their, their children to be sort of assimilated because just like for a lot of Asian countries and I think particularly the Philippines, like there's sort of an idealization of America, which is what a lot of immigrant families sort of like aspire to is just like the American dream. Yeah, and they want the kids to be part of it. It's not just Asian people. It's like it's the American immigrant. dream. Yeah, just it's the what immigrant. attracts yeah. immigrants yeah. here. But I don't think it should come at the loss of the culture that you came from. Yeah, um, I think immigration in terms of like how the children of immigrants fit into that picture there is also like this huge pressure for children of immigrants to like pay back their parents with how like all the sacrifices they've made because i know specifically for my parents um like we're pretty well to do off now like we can afford <laughs> we can afford to send me here um but growing up they definitely made a lot of sacrifices to be able to like get college degrees to come here and then to find work and to raise me and my brother so there is like a pressure to you know find a job that pays well so like not be a failure so that all your parents sacrifices are not like in vain but also i'm not really sure if is that a good thing i think putting that pressure onto children isn't a good thing and but I think it's just having that sort of pressure on anyone is what causes people to crack. And especially if you're raised like that from a young age mm-hmm. and it just kind of piles on and on. And then coming to college is a really big step. And I think making that deci- decision and having to think about your parents is a lot. Although I will say um, one thing that we haven't mentioned yet are majors here at Northwestern. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm majoring in journalism and so is Sophia. Yep. And Hannah is majoring in theater. Well, just kind of going off of that, I want to emphasize that it's a stereotypical thing for Asians to major in STEM fields, but not all Asian parents are like that. I thought I was going to major in biology, and when I made the change, my parents were still really supportive. So I think that's really good. I don't think I had to live with any sort of pressure like, oh, you have to be an engineer, you have to be a doctor, something like that. So I don't think that is encompassing of all Asian cultures because all of us are here. All right, so shifting things... uh back to the main topic what would you say are like the distinguishing like features and elements of asian american culture because like so for those of you who don't know there's a facebook page called uh, subtle, subtle asian, asian traits, traits. and it's really Join popular it. with um asian americans it just sort of indicates to me that like there are some very real like features of living as an asian outside of asia that are very distinct. They're different from the experience that you'd get and in Asia. they're subtle, yeah. mm-hmm. but they're very, very distinct. Like that one post that was like every Asian family dog, and it was like like small, mm-hmm. fluffy dog that yeah. every Asian family seems to have. There are a lot of Kumon memes. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> Kumon. Kumon. Uh, for Kumon, for those of you who don't know, it's and like after school math and reading place for young children like elementary school where like they teach you basic addition subtraction and it's like the very asian um way of teaching which is just like do it over and over and over again until you are the master at it 
If your target audience is like young people, why would you have a sad face in your logo? Um, fun fact. My mom was actually like the one who like worked to get the Kumon Center like opened in my oh town my God. when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> Which honest I mean, I appreciate what Kumon did to me to an extent because to I an think extent, it, yes. it did keep me like like I guess ahead of the game in terms of like math and reading. But also, it, my God, I was very miserable for quite a long time because I had to do homework every single day. Aww. and It was all awful. It's just all repetition. I actually have never done Kumon. I have friends. I got. I just got workbooks over the summer. Oh yeah, that's I did also, math. That, yeah, that's also so. an Asian thing. I had to learn how to read before I got to kindergarten. My parents made me learn how to read before I got into kindergarten. And but once I was in kindergarten, all my classmates were learning how to read sentences like "The cat ran away." John likes cats dog like cat and then i was already reading like magic treehouse books yes that's what i was yeah. reading in kindergarten. and i was reading those in kindergarten and the teacher was like so surprised pushing you to do your absolute best it's a really good quality to instill in kids and i'm really thankful like at least for my parents for pushing me to do things like kumon and extra math problems i didn't enjoy it um it sucked but i feel like if they hadn't pushed me so hard. I don't think I could have gotten into a school like Northwestern. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, thank you, mom and dad. <laughs> <Yeah>. We love you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what kind of person I would be if my parents hadn't like pushed me a bit more. And my parents, I mean, were definitely more supportive than the stereotypical like tiger parents. Yeah. But like, if they hadn't pushed me, I mean, I don't know where I'd be now. But it probably wouldn't be here. And like, yes, I did have to work a lot <laughs> when I was younger, but. I mean, now we all have to work a lot here. Yeah, but then like me. I can, I can do that by myself. Yeah. Like, I don't have to. I don't have to have someone tell me to do my homework. Like I can just do my homework by myself and do it on time. I think um, a really undervalued quality in Asian parenting is that it forces kids to do their best. All my hardest working friends were all like children of immigrants because mm -hmm. like our parents mm -hmm. just forced us to work so hard, and we're doing great things. But I'd say. Despite the disconnect that a lot of Asian immigrant children have, there are still elements of just, like, connect to um, the culture that you were raised in. Say, for example, food. How, oh, like, non-adventurous yes. a lot of American people are compared to, like, us. I'll try anything. I feel like... Yeah, I'll yeah. try too. anything. Yeah. yeah. But then I see a lot, of I have a lot of American friends that are just, like, they see something that looks unfamiliar and they're like, it's gross. I don't want it. But if they just tried it, it there's so much delicious food. Oh my god, the hot pot is amazing. Yeah. But then, like, a lot of white people don't want to try it because they say it looks like dishwater. All right, well, on that note. Yeah. All right, so this is where we're going to wrap it up. Um, this was like a more introductory episode into what kinds of topics we want to talk about in this podcast and just how our views of like growing up Asian have affected our views of the world and how we see everything. So if you want the Asian lens on all things Asian diaspora, tune in for our next episode. We hope you enjoyed our, uh, our rambling about our lives and our stories. Um, there's going to be many more episodes to come. We have a lot in, in store. We have a lot in store for you guys, yes. yes. And if you want to contact us, if you have any topics ideas for us we're also gonna eventually be bringing people on the show to interview if you're interested we have an email david what is it again um, 2gasians at gmail.com if you think you have any perspective that's unique 
if you really you. just have yes. any connection to Asian yeah. culture, even. There's a lot to talk about there that we think has not been talked about enough. Yeah. And we're looking to change that. Every episode, um, we're going to have a snack of the week. So today's snack of the episode is gin ramen. You all have probably heard of Shin Instant Ramen. Gin ramen is less spicy, but even more flavorful because there's less spice. You can actually appreciate and taste the flavor. The broth is just less spicy, so it's more palatable if you can't handle spice. Yes. I'm a big fan of gin ramen. If they want to sponsor us, please reach out. If any Asian food place wants to sponsor yes, us. if anyone would like to sponsor us. 2Gasians at gmail.com. <laughs> All right, again, this is Hannah Julie Yoon. I'm David Deloso. And I'm Sophia Lau. And we are signing out. Our intro music was composed by Tenny Sang. This is NBN Audio.